Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day. And today, our topic is coming a little bit closer to the origins of this show, My Steps to Sobriety, because I've got Dori O'Neill here, a woman who has changed herself from a hot mess into a badass. And that's exactly the subtitle of her book, Seriously. And <laughs> so just listening to that and knowing where it came from, Seriously? <laughs> I don't think I, I cannot tell you how many times people in my environment must have said exactly that. Seriously? <laughs> so yeah, here you go. I'm so grateful that I've got Dory on my show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Exactly. And uh, hey, guys, we've tried that before and we had the most amazing interview and it was all oh, the Zoom issues were awful. One of the few times when really things were of such poor quality that I thought, no, nah, we can't we can't expose you guys uh, to that. But at the same token, we had a ball of a time here. So for me, I, I, that was actually a, a repetition that I was looking forward to. Too. Because, Me too. Uh, exactly, Dori. So thank you so much for coming here onto the show, because ultimately we both have gone through uh, quite some darkness and quite some quite some interesting times. And mm -hmm. we both have changed our lives and are now out there and, and more or less shouting it from the rooftops, how beautiful life can be. But in order to get to that point, we had to go through our darkness and maybe we should start even before the darkness. When you were a younger girl, who did you want to be when you grow up? Oh, There's so many different things that I wanted to be. Um, back in my hometown, there was, it seemed to be sort of limited what the ideas growing up. didn't have a lot of the different career paths that it seems like we have today. It was a, uh, a divorce attorney was one of them specifically a divorce attorney there's a lot so, of divorce. so around about know. age of six you wanted to become a, <laughs> <Age of> six, <laughs> a little briefcase going off to mitigate you know divorces um you knew where the money was i like exactly. that exactly <laughs> well it was coming from my family mostly so <laughs> um i am a child of divorce and i my 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 parents married quite a bit and then you know that's their story so i try not to go too deep into their story but it is part of who i am my 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 parents divorced when I was young and like two and then remarried and, and remarried some people that were, you know, not of the greatest character the first couple of times that they, they married and then they continue to marry, but I'm happy to say they've been married a very long time to their new part or their um, partners now. And I have a wonderful, wonderful stepmom that I totally adore and then I have a stepdad that is golden to my mom. So it it turned out really good for them in the end. But yeah, it, my it started out that way. I always wanted to be a fashion designer. I was always very creative, which I think you hear a lot of when you start hearing a lot of um, addicts and people that are that are alcoholics. You hear the I think it's some common things you hear creative, you hear um, sensitive, and a little withdrawn. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I was all of those things. I was very withdrawn. I was very shy. Mm -hmm. I, um, 
always felt like I was not just sort of like I was afraid to speak up. And, and so I really, really just kind of took into myself and I would draw, but I would draw these wonderful drawings of dresses. I wanted to, I later dreamed of being a fashion designer, moving to Paris, being a fashion designer. And that's really what I wanted to do. So the, for, trade the briefcase for um, colored pencils and, and drawings. And that's what I always wanted to do was to do that. Yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> and where did that lead us? Did, did you go onto that creative path uh, through school? Um, what um, you, you were saying that you were in, in a smaller town where not as many uh, career opportunities were there. Mm -hmm. Typically dreams such as, as I want to become a painter, a fashion designer in Paris. Uh, Paris seems to be a long way away from, from the United from States. Georgia, yes. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. It, 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 you know, it really started to die, I would say, probably in high school. And that was when I first started drinking a little more and got into my first abusive relationship. So any ideas that I thought of maybe moving and going to a different school outside of my hometown, when I got in this controlling abusive relationship, that pretty much went out the window. It was, you're going to stay here. You're going to stay in this hometown and you're going to, to this is where we're going to live the rest of our lives together. And that was at 17. That's a pretty heavy situation to be in with an abusive person that is saying, we're going to get married and we're going to have kids and this is where we're going to live. Luckily, I had a mom who had, a little bit had vision for me and said, well, then if this is the case, you're going to go to the college. We have a liberal arts college where I'm from. And I, I joined the art program there. They had a really, really nice art program and found that I really loved sculpting. That was my, my forte was sculpting and clay work. And, but the drinking started getting in the way and um, I didn't quite make it to class all the time. And it was, um, I actually got dropped by a few classes because I just stopped coming. I just didn't feel well from the night before. And um, of course, you know, the, and that makes you feel bad. So I'd feel bad about missing the class because I was hungover. So I'd miss the next class because I was kind of hungover from that, from feeling bad from that. So it just kind of piled up and I started out my college career with a 3.85 GPA, which I don't think today is that's really that big of a deal, but it was back then. And then by my sophomore year, I had a 2.0, which means that I was just, everything was just kind of falling off. Yeah. So fashion designer out the window. Um, and I eventually dropped art altogether. I lost my passion for it for many, many years because it just, it became not fun anymore. It, and um, so I got my undergrad in psychology. I actually have a bachelor's in psychology. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really, really cool. Because obviously, <laughs> because obviously there was already somewhere a void or a yearning for something that you mm -hmm. couldn't actually put into words, but it made you search and it made you try to to learn more 
maybe about yourself, maybe yes. uh, exactly. So I never very... thought about that. Yeah, you're right. It's it, it turned on something that was more internal mm. um, and, and a need to help others. Mm. And that was my other piece of it as well, was I wanted to help other people mm. with different things that they were going through, <laughs> which is kind of strange now how it's all kind of well, circle. <laughs> you know, the, the early career choices of divorce attorney is is maybe also a little <laughs> giveaway there <laughs> that you were trying to mediate and trying to help others. So there was a and that was very interesting because here you are uh, describing yourself as a, as a shy girl who mm-hmm. then with some drink in her in her tummy was turning into this different persona. Who was yeah. that different persona? Was that a happy drunk? Was that a, uh, how were you when you had a few glasses of wine? Wild. And it became, it was more than, it was more than a few glasses, by the way. It ended up being like a few bottles. Um, But I, I was, I was shy. I was shy around boys. Um, I was shy around meeting new, just new people altogether. When I had a drink, I all of a sudden, I felt like I could talk. Mm. I felt like I could be. But then as the night wore on and the more drinks I had, the more my sense of maybe this isn't a a good thing for me was kind of like out the window. And I like engaged in all kinds of risky behavior and, you know, and then dealt with the repercussions of that the next morning. And um, I think, you know, the walk of shame was definitely you know, a part of, a part of my story. It just little by little, every drink that I had though, took a little piece of me with it. And, and the behavior that went with the drinking took even more. So every time that I did something that I thought I didn't really want to do that. Hmm. Okay. So get the ass kicking stick out and start beating me over the head with it. And then it just, from there just kept, just grows and grows and grows. That's a vicious cycle, isn't it? It is. You're full of of anxiety. That then becomes anxiety when you have hungover and and anxiety and the guilt and shame and the whip comes out. How dare I? And it is it is so bizarre. It is so bizarre. You were still living in a, in a smallish town. How many citizens? How many people were living there? I don't, I don't really, it hasn't grown a whole lot since then. <laughs> uh, it's still a pretty small town, but yeah, everybody knew everybody. And so everybody That's... knew what Dory was up to, and I'm sure that it got to my parents as well. That's, and... that's where I was heading there. Uh, this, yeah. I, I grew up in Mannheim and Ludwigshafen, which are industrial towns, maybe three and a thousand, four and a thousand people. And then I moved from there, just 20 Ks down the road to Heidelberg University, which had about 150,000. Now that 20 Ks was enough separation that I was essentially flying incognito. And I, the towns were big enough. There were enough students out there doing stupid things that ultimately there are not too many witnesses around um, who can testify about my my behavior and my mm. my truth, which is a good and a bad thing. I mean, yeah. I, I feel really sorry for for the youth nowadays, where absolutely everything will be caught on video and immediately oh, live stream. Oh, please! Can you please. imagine now? We would be in so much trouble. I mean, it. Mm. 
Yeah. Have, no, no, that's <laughs> fine. I, I, I still have got the memories of being a really good dancer. <laughs> I was probably more like a like a drowning orangutan on the dance floor, but it it drew the girls. So hey, who was I now to to complain? You could not get me off the dance floor when I, I was getting. I would be like from the beginning to the very end, where this last call, I was exactly. And everybody would just stand, and I was like, they're watching me because I'm amazing. Oh, that's right, exactly. They were like, oh my yeah, god. Exactly. <laughs> I fear that is that might have been so, but at the same token, it attracted the opposite sex and it worked and it was fun. And in all fairness, when I was when I was at the right level of drunk, I was probably a good dancer. Uh, I just loved dancing and it was cool. And, and in Germany, you do um, disco fox, which is a, a fast uh, beat, uh, a fast foxtrot kind of a thing, but far more social, far more nice. And most uh, in my in my age group, most young people knew how to dance. And certainly girls, it was still very normal. We all go to dance school. So therefore, it was nice. You, you would actually go to a girl, may I, may I ask for a dance? And wow. then you would go out. And it was beautiful because from the word go, there's this touch, there's this close together. And if you imagine a steamy tango or something like that, well, that is sex on 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 the dance floor ultimately and yeah and but a disco fox once you actually come into a swing and you figure out how the girl ticks it is actually a very beautiful thing so without saying a word you get to know the other person so therefore it's just the dancing was actually really really cool and it was even better when you were a bit disinhibited because then you really hands came out and it was just, yeah, come on, bring it on girl. And it was gorgeous. But then of course you can't keep at that very narrow window. Exactly. So shy, just right. And that's the problem, isn't it? Mine was shooting pool. I could shoot pool. So Ah. I looked like I could not shoot pool at all. Get like a couple of drinks in me. And I was like a shark. I mean, Ah. I was like, and then there's that line. It's like that one, that one drink where it just like takes you over the edge. And then all of a sudden, nothing. Exactly. Exactly. Oh God. Oh God. And you could say the same about sex, and you could say the same about so many other everything. things. Everything, every, every karaoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Ooh, exactly. Bad, bad, <laughs> bad. How many embarrassing situations did I get in when I sang karaoke? It's oh, not good. Not good. I am glad that social media's or that. All exactly. of that stuff not there because mm. can you yeah. carry a tune normally under no. <laughs> but I thought uh. I could. <laughs> same here, same here. I've got probably not the, the greatest voice for singing, and I certainly have got a nasally kind of thing with a few broken noses. Um, give me a few drinks and give me a guitar. And it was oh, a different story. Um, a guitar and, that, okay. Uh, but it was it was all cool because ultimately the girls didn't care. They they cared about my my exhibition of of passion of, of love. Exactly. They didn't yeah. care that that the tone was a bit out or whatsoever. And that was the, the cool thing. So I hear the secret. They were hammered too. Yeah. <laughs> 
could be Dan, of course. <laughs> fair call, fair call. Although I must say, there was a time when when alcohol played a role, but it didn't play such a role. So it was we kept it somehow unconsciously at the level of just right, of just perfect. And I remember evenings um, in France or in Spain, sitting on the beach um, and just playing guitar, focusing on being really good and, and three guys three guys playing together. And it was just moths to a flame that the girls were just... <laughs> Um, and it was brilliant, but we we were not going into the into the excess at that time. So mm. we're still good. And uh, the problem, of I, course, is with alcoholism and addiction. It doesn't stay there, isn't yeah. it? You need yeah. more. I, I will. I will honestly say though that my from the get go, I was a blackout drinker from the get go. So my mine took off as soon as the, mm. my first drink. Right. first blackout and I never understood that that wasn't normal so for me that was my normal was I would drink blackout wake up the next morning wondering where I was um from the beginning so I I would yeah it was it's it just took off quickly and some people it takes off a little bit slower than others and some you know we all have our own path mm. but for me it was like right from the get-go gone gone interesting Interesting, because obviously it fulfilled different needs for you compared with for me. Um, later on, that was absolutely it, because I wanted to forget. I wanted the pain to stop. I wanted the depression and the anxiety to go. Then I would drink until I was finally in this oblivious state of mind where I could forget my, my current situation, could listen to music, maybe put some more sad music on and could finally cry, mm -hmm. you know, being come emotionally plucked up and retarded. And then finally, when I had the right level of, of, of red wine and Les Miserables uh, blaring out of my earphones, suddenly I was, God, I would be snot everything. And really, finally, finally giving into my emotions, which I had no mm -hmm. clue what to do with. It, yeah, that is so crazy. I thinking about the emotion things. Um, you know, I just recently took an improv class, and part of the improv it was very emotional. And and this actually this topic came up because I said I didn't know how to feel emotions. My emotions did not match what the correct response was supposed to be. You know, when someone was very sad, I was kind of like, okay, why am I not sad? Oh. Or it was, it, it, it was because they were all shoved down. Oh. And you're right. You get some drinks and, and I would like go like to the, some of them, I got really dark, really, really fast. Mm. Um, but most of the time I was a happy, a happy drunk. Everybody said, yo, you're so much fun. And, um, you know, it was party girl, fun to be with. I would do anything if they said, let's go and we're going to crowd surf. I would go crowd surf. I would do whatever it was that was outrageous and fun because I knew that that's not the quiet Dory would never do anything like that. Yeah. But emotions. <sighs> <laughs> How long did that period, when did it start? When was the first drink you've had? I was 15. 15. When I had 15, yep. And, and 
then how long did that career as a as a blackout uh, drunk continue? Till I was thirty nine. Perfect, beautiful. Because mm-hmm. if you look at that, that's quarter of a century. That's about the same. The same. Uh, 15, 25. Yes, I just need to make my maths that I've got that right here. <laughs> Sorry. And that was about the same time frame that I was uh, in that kind of living hell. Um, there is the statement that ultimately you stop emotionally developing mm-hmm. the day or the, the year that you start abusing and really living the addiction. So that made you basically a 15-year-old girl uh, stuck in a in a 39-year-old body. And that's exactly right. And and that was, I think, one of the hardest parts when getting sober was all of a sudden I still have these emotions of, of being over here and being able to act out too, because I acted like a teenager. And um, and then to be told, you know. No, that's not quite proper <laughs> uh, to, to act that way. But, you know, being able to have adult conversations and those uh, sort of things, because you're not used to But you're absolutely right. They say that from the moment you start drinking seriously, that's yeah, the, when yeah, you're, you're exactly. stunted. <laughs> How stunted were you? <laughs> I was, yeah, as I said, well, mind you, I was, I was starting really at university. So I started early 18, um, but yeah, not far off you ultimately. Not far, yeah. No, and it is, but it was a, um, I certainly, I never learned how to deal with emotions. And I was always this people pleaser, always mm-hmm. worried what other people think about me. Therefore, I would never take risks or things like that unless I was drunk. And then all bets were off. And Anything. Isn't yeah. it? Exactly. And then, uh, uh, yes, but it, uh, I think whilst we are focusing on the alcohol in our discussion here today, I think it is important for anyone watching this interview to realize that only because you have not been an addict, you have not gone through that darkness, doesn't mean to say that you actually started looking into your emotions. The vast majority of people out there, they are on their hamster wheel and they're quite busy doing whatever they are doing. Um, they have not seen the darkness that we too have seen. And therefore they have not been to the point where simply they had to change, where they had to take the bull by its horns, where they had to look at the negative emotions that are washing over them like, like, like making you drown in a very rough sea. Um, so we are actually the lucky ones. We are actually the ones who have been in that darkness. And therefore, we were so yearning for the light that we now live a so much more conscious, active life. Is vivid, light is in vivid color now. It's, it's like this painting behind me. It's in vivid color. And you're absolutely right because we got a second chance. Uh. When we realize that we have a second chance and sort of this do-over, if you will, um, to be able to just go after it. But but you just see things and you appreciate things in so many ways. And a lot of people don't understand when people say, like, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic 
or I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic, mm-hmm. whichever one you prefer. There's two different camps on, on that as well. But the grateful part, why would you ever be grateful? Because I can't be so sure that if I were not an alcoholic, that I would not be in the spot that I'm in right now. Exactly. And you've nailed it. That's it. We could stop the interview right now because ultimately the the that is the point. It is virtually every guest I ask, if you had a chance with a time machine to go back, what would you change? Most of them think for a moment, if they had not been asked this question before, and then say, actually, nothing. Because mm-hmm. without all that mess in my past, I would not be the person that I am right now. So true. And it is, it is like a hallmark of a successful survivor, of a, of a person who stepped off the hamster wheel, looked in the mirror, took a long, hard look, and started taking an inventory and see what is actually happening. And then start to see your reality and see all of these different cool things around you. I always say Mm. it was like, you ever watched the movie, The Matrix? Mm. Oh, yeah. The the red pill? Uh. (laughs) It's like that. It's like, if you want to take, you can take this one, you can go back to bed and you go back to sleep. Meaning you can go back to your old life and you can just continue. Or you can take this and we're going to show you the biggest adventure of your entire life. Mm. And to me, that was getting sober was taking that one, not literally taking a pill because that would be wrong, but, but taking it, but, but just saying, I, you know what, I, I'm going to throwing myself at this. I'm going to go for it. And when I did, and I actually started really doing the work and doing all the things that I was like, dude, tell me whatever it is I need to do because I can't go back there. I can't go back to where I was. I was, by the time I got sober, I was living with a crack addict. <laughs> I was $50,000 in debt. And I was playing what I call the credit card shell game. I'd pay one off just enough where I could use it to buy something else. And then and just so it was kind of like this. And then, you know, living with the addict who was also taking my money, whatever I had left. And he was abusive. So... I never wanted to go back there again. That you talked about the girl that had the dreams. Never when I was a child did I say, I want to live with a crack addict who, who beats me up. You don't, you don't. <laughs> yep. It's not something I ever said I wanted. And so for me, when it, it, they said, I can show you a way that can change everything huh. for you. And I will show you to have the best life you've ever had. If I said, show me the way, show, show me, tell me what to do. I'll do whatever it takes. And I was willing. And that's the other piece of it as well. I was willing to do, there's a lot of people that get sober for other people. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. And I'm not saying it doesn't work, Hmm. but I do know a lot of people that have gotten sober for someone else. And when that someone else circumstance changes, they go back to the way that they were you got to be willing to do it for you because at the end of the day, you're the one that's got to do the work. But I will tell you at the end of the day, you're the one that gets all of the good, the good stuff that comes with it. And, and I don't know, that's just sort of the way I feel about it um, and being willing. That's the problem with alcohol, certainly because 95% of people who drink dangerously and are actually addicts um, will say, no, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. 
now watch him if you look at him over there or her now she is an alcoholic okay look at oh yeah me i'm no, sure that's a about me <laughs> <laughs> exactly i am a social drinker come on no 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 that's fine i've got just we, we start hanging around people that drink the way that we do so it becomes less noticeable of how bad it really oh, is no offense to the people that hear this that knew me back then i'm not calling you out exactly like that but i started hanging around people who drank like i did so that it didn't become uncomfortable and that's what we do we, we mm-hmm. select these people. And that's the amazing thing that happens when you suddenly stop drinking, that a lot of these relationships completely disintegrate. And you realize how shallow they were, because you were, at best, a drinking partner. At worst, mm-hmm. you were the mascot or the... The, 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 the entertainment. Thank you. That was exactly where I was going here with. Yeah. And because, yeah. It, and you, know, you are the person that they could shine the light on and say, not as bad as, as, as she is. And exactly. when you, I, that's so true. And that was a hard thing for me. But by the time I got ready to stop drinking, most of even those people were so mad at me about just me, you know, I drink and run my mouth and I knew secrets and I would tell them, you know, and nobody wanted to be around me by the time it got time to stop, you know, when it was time for me to stop drinking. But those that still were around were not around much longer after that. I mean, you know, I was not, I will be honest, when I first got sober, I wasn't very fun, but I I didn't know how. I'm 15 years old in my mind, trying to figure out how I'm going to navigate life sober. What changed? You, You described yourself earlier as a happy drunk uh, as a, as this this kind of positive image, and then later on, you describe yourself in between the words as not such a nice person to be around. Yeah. What changed? I my relationship with alcohol changed. There became a point, and and I've heard it called like this this line that gets crossed. I can tell you exactly when my line was. I was 35 years old. I was sitting on a bar stool in a dark bar in the middle of the afternoon. And my I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this drink in front of me and I'm thinking I need to finish this because I'm ready to black out and I'm ready to pass out and I'm ready for this day to be over. And at that moment, I something something in my head said, number one, remember this day. Number two, what the heck was that? Where did that thought come from? Where did this stop being fun? And now all of a sudden it's my, I just got to get through. And I, it's weird that I remember that because I don't remember a whole lot of anything else. <laughs> but, but I remember that point. And then from then on, fun, drunk Dory was no longer. I mean, I was at a point of where I was standing drunk on a balcony on the edge, like on the railing of a balcony. That was the point that it had taken me. It went really dark. And um, and just about every drink after, from that point on, became more of a survival and then and got really, really just really dark. It's a depressant. Why we, why we think that we can pour our, depre- our depressed state and pour more depression on top of it and that it's 
It's very deceitful in that way that it makes you think that it's making you happy when it's really not. It's doing the total opposite. That's not true. That's not true. You could argue until the cows come home with regards to what is the chicken, what is the egg? Um, maybe is there a depression that actually crept up on you and that contributed. But ultimately, it is, I think it's a very multifactorial thing because mm -hmm. when you drink, you don't sleep very well. Your sleep mm -hmm. pattern is completely upset. And if your sleep is really shit, then that will affect your mood. So just that little... And then you eat so crap. You don't eat very well. You don't take good care of yourself. And I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day on top of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I full disclosure, I was doing recreational drugs while mm -hmm. I was drinking too. So it was not... That was not my main drug, my main thing. But, you know, if someone put it in front of me, hmm. I had no inhibitions to say, no, that's not something I don't want to do. It was like, game on. Sure, let's do it. So, yeah, it's not. Indeed. And you're really on a, on a slippery slope to really go. And it's the problem is it's so slippery. Um, you are sliding, but you're sliding slow and you're not even not realizing how you cross one boundary after the other and it is that's a it's a it's a downhill trend that starts often years before you actually realize um, for some people it's quicker because they obviously have uh, life-shattering moments of maybe DUI or maybe losing a job or things like that. So for, but I, for some though, that's not even enough as well. And mm. I, I think that that's something that baffles a lot of people as well. It's like, well, he's had three DUIs. Why mm. does it he wake up? And well, he doesn't think he has a problem mm. or she's lost her family. Her husband mm. just took her kids away. Mm. What is wrong with her? Mm. Well, she's got, she's got this, this mm. thing over here that it becomes more important mm. than anything else in your entire world. Absolutely. And it's very hard to explain to people that don't have never had an addiction, but you know, I ask some people, you know, like my husband, I don't understand it. I said, well, step away from the donut, <laughs> you know, but try, try to, when you, you've got something that you're passionate about, try, try to not use it mm. and see how uncomfortable it is. The problem is that the, the alcohol takes over the same, the same things that trigger survival uh, reactions in your body. In other words, if you now stop drinking, your body goes into crisis mode because mm -hmm. it has aligned the alcohol at the same importance as breathing, as water, mm -hmm. as food. And therefore, the moment you stop drinking, your body thinks, oh my God, I can't have that. Mm -hmm. So it's this, this wrong alignment, this wrong learning, that uh, the memory, that laying down of memories that are at a level so deep down that you have absolutely no conscious, conscious way of, of dealing with that. Yes. And that it's is so, the, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. ladies first. I was going to say that's interesting because that's what I've been studying a lot lately is about neuropaths mm. and creating paradigms and all of those different things that these things become so grooved. It's like a, a path going down a wooded forest mm. and it becomes like a, a rut 
Mm. And, and that's the way your brain goes. It knows this is what made me feel good before. This is mm. what's going to make me keep making me feel good. So you just keep going that way. And you have to build new paths. And, and it's, it can be, it's quite powerful. The mind mm. is quite powerful. It is, it can be an absolute super weapon, mm-hmm. the mind, but it can also be the biggest, the biggest, uh, the biggest, what am I lacking, looking for, it's a very double-edged sword. Uh, you can easily cut yourself and it, it can shred your life to pieces if you are not learning how to deal with this double-edged sword. The reality is that you have got so many emotions which are created by even things that are below emotions. Those things like, like your conditioning, those things that were laid down in childhood, all these kind of things mm-hmm. are, are going on. They are driving your emotions. The emotions are driving your actions. Now, most people, they are just reacting very few of us actually start looking at the emotions and even mm-hmm. further more very very few of those are now beginning to truly discover what is happening underneath there why do we have the emotions that are washing over us like like a crazy mm-hmm. surf um and it is it is what it is and but this is also an opportunity now that you are here, you viewers, listeners, and then sort of thinking, huh, what are they talking about? Well, that's your opportunity to actually now explore that because that's what recovery is truly is. Recovery is not stopping drinking. Stopping drinking, yeah, okay, you stop drinking. So what now? Um, that is really where we are at because the, the drinking is just masking something. Now that you have actually stopped numbing yourself, now it's time to discover. And there are some things that are not so nice, that are not so nice waiting for you in in that mess up there. And there are things that are beautiful. And there there is a genius inside of you waiting to come out. There's also trauma waiting to come out and to be dealt with. And, and I invite you to come onto that journey because whilst it is scary and it's the, the, the biggest achievement in my life to actually deal with my, my mess up there. Uh, it is one of the, the, the most beautiful achievements. No, it's not my fellowship as an anesthetist. No, it's not my, all the other things I've achieved in my life no that's not it and and I might even go as far as saying finding my gorgeous wife who I love dearly and having my wonderful wonderful children again I would have not most of the time said these are my biggest achievements if I compare that with finally being able to deal with myself and learning to love myself what's and all no that is my biggest achievement in my life I look at it as this is my gift for doing that work. So having a wonderful husband and wonderful stepchildren, nice. they would not be in my life yeah. if I had not done this work. Um, nice. Being able yeah. to have the friends that I have now, wonderful women friends that mm. are just stellar, absolutely stellar. And, you know, writing my book and doing all these awesome things. That is because I got sober. So yeah, you're absolutely right. If I look at, and I I have the tendency sometimes to minimize getting sober. I really do sometimes go because for me, I wanted it so badly. 
that I was willing to do whatever they said that I needed to do. And, and so I went down that path and I went down like, okay, here I go. And, and I just, and I never looked back. And then there are some people that, that relapse and, 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 and go back and, and have to, you know, keep trying. I'm very blessed that I was not one of those people, but I also don't take it for granted as well that I could easily go back there as well. So I have to, it's a thing that you have to nourish, um, take care of and pay attention to and be reminded of because I'm not, I have to remember where I, I, I just, yes, I need to remember where I came from and be, but that makes me more grateful today where I am. So, yes. And you must be the minority because typically the chance of an alcoholic relapsing in the first year is 80%. Okay. Um, I think it's important to recognize also that as an alcoholic, you've got an 80% chance or better. You can expect that you get dry and start developing a life that you are proud of. So 80% is a powerful figure if you want ballparks. Um, But there, you cannot really truly expect that you have got a um, 25 year career of drinking and making bad decisions and being run by your emotions that you suddenly just turn it all around and you're going to be all fine just because you want to. Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. There will be more trauma coming. And then you unfortunately fall back into the old rut. You fall back into that old behavior that served you so well. After all, at at the start, it was ingrained. This is good shit. Absolutely. Therefore, please, it is if you had a relapse, maybe recently, and that's the reason you came onto this show and and tried to to listen to us. Congratulations. I'm so pleased for you. You had a relapse. Yay. Because what does that mean? It was a message. It was a message from your body to you that there is more work to be done. And you, you have now a period of where you had succeeded and now you had to relapse and that's even more chance to grow. You can figure out why did that actually happen? Because a relapse does start not when you put that drink to your mouth. It starts days and weeks before, isn't it? Exactly. And that's not to say because I didn't pick up a drink that I didn't mentally relapse sometimes too. And even in sobriety, I mean, you, maybe can attest to this as well as sometimes old stinking thinking still tries to come into the and play, tries to take the wheel and say, I got this. I'm, you know, mm. and, and people around me look around and go, who are you? Where did you come? Mm, we don't like you. Um, because sometimes that behavior comes out. So like you said, it's ingrained and the people that relapse there, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. Absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. Just, you do the right things by just saying, you know what? I, I relapse. Honesty is a, is a key thing. I relapse. Mm-hmm. And there's people around that love you and that will, that will have their hand out that say, let me show you the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the integrity that, that you have got the chance to building up and say, okay, something went wrong. And I, I, please, please, please ask you, don't go now into full guilt and shame mode. How dare I? I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. You have 
change your habits from from habits that that suit you and and maybe lead you towards a more fulfilled life towards an old habit that maybe doesn't suit you anymore but you mm-hmm. give gave it another shot and now you probably realize well it was probably not so great but you would get the chance to to reevaluate and say okay firstly what has led to that and maybe mm-hmm. you have to realize that you were very tired because you worked your guts out in your new life. You were trying to pull your life around and were doing absolutely everything. And your to-do lists were about, yay, that size. That's only one page and then three pages further. That's still the to-do list for today. And maybe surprise, not surprisingly, you're burning the candle on both ends and mm-hmm. you're you're thinking you're failing because there's inevitable that you can't fulfill such to-do lists. And so you're getting angry, you're getting tired. You probably by now have forgotten that you need to nourish yourself with the right vitamins. You've forgotten that you need to drink and rehydrate. And we're not even talking about the sleep, which has gone down the drain. Mm-hmm. Well, hello, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. tired. The, the perfect, the People perfect steps right in and you start getting back into people pleasing behaviors. Yep. And then you start, yeah, it's, it, I, that's a lot of um, uh, my friends that I have, you know, that's how it starts. It's just that it, you, it, life happens. Life still happens. <laughs> Even while, you know, I, that was one of the big things that I was not expecting when I got sober was that life is still going to happen. Hmm. Very true. But I, you know, have to continue to remember the tools that I was given when I got sober and 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 continue to use those and that's honesty that's reaching out to to friends that's reaching out to people like you that you know you've been we've been through we don't have the same exact story but we have you and I have a kindred we have a connection now a bond and now that we know each other we have this bond that's unshakable that will remain probably the rest of our lives I think And and we may not talk every day, but I now know you, you know me, and I know that you've got my back. Isn't it? It is, it's like a, like a brotherhood, a sisterhood of Mm -hmm. survivors. You have gone through the same dark nights of the soul. Mm -hmm. And that makes you a, a, yeah, a brotherhood. Uh, It is an amazing, amazing feeling. And it is... It's such a strong thing, much stronger than any other connections I have any, had in the yes, past. Because there's and there's never been for me, I have never had anybody judge me. Mm. And in fact, I've told stories before, um, and I forget who, who I'm around sometimes. Like my girlfriends, I can tell stories about things I did when I was drinking, and we laugh and just you know, until we're crying, and we're talking about like, you know, the times that you know you wet your pants and Things like that. And we're just laughing. And then, you know, I say that to somebody who's not been through those things, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, and their their eyes get like this big. And you can just see, like, are you kidding me? And I'm laughing and I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be laughing. (laughs) Please, it is. uh, It is so true. Yet, yet, ah, the weird thing is. I think their eyes are this big, not about the things that you tell, but about the fact that you are telling those things, that you are actually opening up. And that is exactly. completely under, un, 
not understandable for them whatsoever because they have their own secrets that they have been hiding for a very, very, very long time. They have got a mask up. They have got not one mask. They try to build Mm -hmm. layers of masks to Mm -hmm. imagine the beautiful picket fence kind of thing, the perfect social media persona. um, And it just makes me sick. Um, And unfortunately, that is still the life that many, many people out there are living. And that's, that's where we can shine the light onto ourselves mm-hmm. and our transformation. And when we say transformation, it means that there was a dark spot and now there's a, there's a, a bright life there. And you can't not just look backwards from now and then and look at the darkness because without that, you don't have the, the understanding how far you have come. So you need to know both sides of the story. And and what you are doing in your book, you are essentially opening up and you're saying, this is my story. Mm -hmm. And there must be millions and millions of people out there who have experienced a variation of the story and who are not yet there. They still are are, are gilded and shame ridden and Mm -hmm. are incapacitated by their negative emotions that have come from their behavior. They truly still believe that they are bad people rather than having done bad things under the influence of addiction. So, and that, that is such a huge, huge thing. Hate the addiction love the addict because in underneath there is a beautiful beautiful person there and that person if you were to foster it and bring that person out who will that that little butt that comes out of the earth what will that grow into Mm -hmm. Uh, the most beautiful beautiful tree or a beautiful flower you don't know but why not nurture that and keep the crap away from that help that that plan to go stronger and develop and honestly that is what we are doing in as a metaphor on our respective journeys and that's why I'm so humbled for you to have come onto my show because you're here you have written your book you're 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 open to mm-hmm. you open yourself up to criticism you open Absolutely. yourself up to everything and it's beautiful yeah. It's I, I, I was, a, I, I was a little nervous when it was kind of, the book was coming out because I, I talk about the abuse. I talk about a lot of things. I'm also in another book that's coming out where I talk about being bullied um, when I was younger and the reasons why I was bullied. And, and so for me though, coming out and, and saying all of these different things that happened to me, it's to say, because it could have happened to you too. And it's Okay. So I'm putting myself out here because I want everyone to know it's okay for you to be you and it's okay for the things that you have done. And so if it shocks people, good. I'm glad. I'm glad it shocks you because it was a shocking thing for me too. You know, the, the divorce attorney carrying the little briefcase is very shocked by the person that she saw when she was 39 years old and looked in the mirror and had a black eye. So Yes, I, I, I shock people. I'm honest about who I was. I'm honest about what, what I did. And there may be more things that become, you know, come out as I go along, you know, I, I did some things and I'm going to own them because that's at the end of the day, 
that makes me the badass is owning, owning my stuff and saying, this is who I am. You can take me or you can leave me, but if you want to take me, I'm here to help you. Absolutely beautiful. And for that, I'm so grateful. Show us your book. Show us the, that seriously. Because God, exactly, guys, please, here is the book. If you, if you wanted to actually hear a little bit more about this amazing transformation and this amazing uh, Dory O'Neill, who is today a guest on my show, that's a damn good place to start off with that book. So go out there and, and have sober fun reading that book uh and you will you will be amazed where how how many parallels you might detect between your own life and dory's um if people are fascinated by your story and want to delve a bit more uh, into it and might even want to contact you what are your social media handles how can they find you so i my my company or is the real dorio that's, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. So you can go to the real Dory O.com. My, um, my social handle on Facebook is the real Dory O. Yes. You can find me there and you can find my book on Amazon. It's seriously question mark. How I went from a hot mess to a daring badass. And, you know, I look forward to anybody that wants to reach out to me, please feel free. Um, I'm here. I'm here to help. That's, that is my life purpose is I'm, I'm trying to give back what was given to me. Oh, beautiful. Oh, absolute beautiful. And guys, if you didn't get it, look down there into the description of the video and of the podcast because all the, the information is there. Dory, I'm so grateful that you came onto my show. This was beautiful and it was humbling and you made me relive moments in my life that I was proud of and moments that I was not so proud of. And uh, it is what it is. It, it is, is um, that made me the man who I am today. Mm -hmm. And for that, I'm really, really grateful. And to meet the real Dorio <laughs> is, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And guys, this is probably not the last time that we two work together. Uh, she is just far too, too beautiful in her drive and in her, in her passion for life. That is, and that's a great thing when you're actually coming into, when you're de developing your own life, similar to the two of us, you are realizing that addiction is the opposite of connection and mm -hmm. it is that connection that we as a as a brother and sisterhood of of uh orderly drunks uh, uh have now created uh, <laughs> that that is so powerful yeah because we can feed off each other we can feed off yeah. each other's energy it is it is we would go out of our way quite miles out of our way to help mm -hmm. others who you're are, on the other side of the world for me and that, if you if you needed anything just that's exactly know. it and that's beautiful so guys yeah. come on board it is the invitation is there if yeah. two numb nuts like us can sort themselves <laughs> out um please please okay seriously seriously if you knew what we had been up to seriously <laughs> you can do it honestly yeah. <laughs> hey dory thank you so much for coming thank on to you. my show you thank look you. after yourself and you guys out there stay strong don't give up 
whatever is happening in your life right now, it is, it is like a wave. You can't do much about it. It will wash over you and then the wave is gone. So whatever darkness there is, there also there will be light. Yeah. And and maybe maybe uh, Dory and I have had the chance to to kindle a little bit of a flame there uh, in you, and and I want you to nurture that flame and make it grow into a warm glow, and then into a fire, and then into a big lighthouse of a fire where you become the light in the darkness of the people around you, mm. and it is a wonderful journey. So I know yeah. you guys can do it exactly. Stay strong and look after yourselves. Bye.